0: Well, like many of my generation, one of the formative films of my adolescence was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, all right, there you go, featured uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford who were the George Clooney and Brad Pitt of their day, and they portrayed the part of a couple of Old West outlaws in the twilight of their careers. One of my favorite scenes in that film uh, takes place later on in the film when the, the crooks decide it's time to go straight so they try to get hired on as security guards. Now, the interview doesn't go well. Uh, the grizzled old boss asks Sundance to, uh, if he can shoot. And the kid takes a shot at a target and completely misses the thing. Unimpressed, the old man spits out a chaw of tobacco, wipes his cheek, and turns to walk away. Can I move? Sundance says. I'm better when I move. At which point, he takes a couple steps to the right, drops into a couch, crouch, pulls out the holster, pulls the gun out, fires off a couple quick rounds, obliterates the target. The old man says, yeah, that'll do. (laughs) Now, I was just a kid when I saw that film, but even then it made an impression on me, that scene in particular. I think because I was beginning to discover already that I was a hyperactive kind of a person who just always liked to be on the go. But I bring it up this morning... Because I think it has something to say to us as Christ followers. We're better when we move. We're better when we move. As I turned that phrase over my head this week, uh, I got thinking about the life and ministry of Jesus. And it occurred to me that from his very earliest days, Jesus was on the move. I mean, just think about it with me. He, Jesus was born on the road, away from home, after a three-day journey on the back of a donkey. They're in Bethlehem for a short time, and they have to make a flight all the way to Egypt, only to make a return trip a couple of years later. They come back to Judea and eventually find their way up to Nazareth. We have one episode from the first 30 years of Jesus' life, and that one episode is a road trip, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem at 12 years old. His public ministry begins when he leaves his hometown and goes down to the River Jordan to be baptized by John. No sooner does he come up out of the water, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness for 40 days of wrestling and wandering. When he comes out of the wilderness, instead of going back to his hometown, he heads down to Capernaum to launch his ministry. And his first day in Capernaum is such a success that everybody wants him to stay, including the disciples. But listen to what he says. Let us go somewhere else. To the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And that's pretty much how it goes for the next three years from place to place, from town to town, ministering to people as he goes. I got so intrigued by this idea, I actually went back to the Gospels, surveyed my way through all four of them, and I was amazed at how Jesus was always on the move. Just listen to a few, a collection of excerpts from the Gospels. In passing by along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, And they sailed to a hill country of the Gerasenes. And he went out from there and came to his hometown. From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. And Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village. And it came about he had to pass through Samaria And he set his face resolutely for Jerusalem. And they were on the road, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. Jesus spent his entire ministry on the move, going from place to place. And it wasn't just about what he did when he got there, it was about all the people he met along the way. A woman by a well, a tax collector up a tree, a blind beggar, a grieving widow, ten lepers. Jesus did some of his best work on the road. We come to the final week of his life, and he begins by riding a donkey into Jerusalem. He spends the next five days commuting back and forth to Bethany, teaching and ministering, coming and going. In his final 24 hours, Jesus travels from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, to the house of the high priest, to the palace of the governor, and eventually a long walk up a hill called Golgotha. You see what I mean? From his earliest days until his final act, Jesus is on the move. So is it any wonder when the women show up at the tomb, the angels say, he's not here. (laughs) Even death couldn't keep him in one place. Is it any wonder when Mary throws her arms around him in the garden, he says, don't hold on to me, I must go to my Father." any wonder, he says to, to Mary, tell the other guys, I'll meet them in Galilee. And more to the point, is it any wonder that his final word to the disciples is go, go. All four gospels and the book of Acts record some version of Jesus' final words to his followers. Just listen to them one after another and listen for the common elements. Matthew Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark, go into all the world and preach good news to all creation. Luke, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, power from on high. John, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go, preach, send, witness, all nations, whole world, all creation, to the ends of the earth. No wonder the first name given to the Jesus movement was the Way. It turns out that Christ followers, like their master, are better when they move. And do you know why that is? Do you know why Jesus went from place to place and why he asks us to do the same? Because every place matters. Every town, every village, every city, every district, every region, it mattered to Jesus. Jesus. And so it should matter to us. I must go, he said. That's why I've come. And every place matters because every person matters. Children matter. Widows matter. Crooks matter. Beggars matter. Rich people matter. Politicians matter. Everyone matters to Jesus. The only way to get to all those people and all those places is to go. Is to take it on the road and go to where they are. Now, we're coming down the home stretch here of a year long journey in which we've been learning to live on mission, learning how to align our lives with God's heart. And this spring, we're focusing on the everyday dimension of that mission. And so we've talked about everyday things, uh, we've talked about living in a neighborhood. We've talked about uh, doing household chores. We've talked about family life and raising children. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Robert in Watertown preached a message on how to live on mission in our digital lives. It's a great message. I hardly have a digital life, and I was inspired to go out and get one. You can listen to that message online. But certainly, one of the aspects of our daily lives is that we spend a good part of our days on the road. I mean, just try to think for a minute about all the places you visited just this past week, coming and going. They tell us the average American spends about 101 minutes in the car every day. They tell us that we'll drive 800,000 miles in our lifetime. That's three t- trips to the moon without traffic. <laughs> they tell us that uh, the average American will move 11 times in the course of their lives. And with the globalization of, the, of our world, traveling to other countries is really not even a big deal anymore. I was 40 years old before I first left the country. My kids had made two or three trips abroad before they were 18 years old. What we're gonna find out this morning is that, is that all this traveling, whether it's for work or vacation or just running errands, all this traveling is not a distraction. It's actually fully aligned with our mission. All these trips we take around town, around the world, they're not detours. They're opportunities if we learn how to leverage them for the sake of our mission and the work of the kingdom. So this lesson is obviously important on the day we send off 160 of Grace Chapel folks to places around the world. But as we're discovering, you don't have to be on a trip this summer to be on mission this summer. No matter where you go, to the grocery store or to the other side of the world, for following Jesus' example, it's a mission trip. So let's just look at one of those commissions that we read a few moments ago and see what we can learn about making the most of those opportunities. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Now, according to the Gospels, Jesus actually covered a lot of ground on his first day back from the dead, that Resurrection Sunday. In the morning, he was there in the garden greeting Mary. The afternoon, he took a seven-mile walk with a couple of disciples to Emmaus. That evening, he finds his way back to Jerusalem, and he shows up in the upper room where the, the 11 disciples are huddled together, confused and afraid. We'll pick it up at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "'Peace be with you.' They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost." He said to them, why are you you so troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Peace be with you. Easy for Jesus to say. I mean, think what these guys had been through. Think what they'd seen over the course of the past few days. Their master arrested, put on trial, beaten, abused, punished, Hung on a cross to die. They'd seen him die, if even from a distance. They knew he'd been laid to rest and sealed up in a tomb. For two days, they had been grieving the loss of their master, wondering what had gone wrong and what would happen to their lives now that the great adventure was over. And they had as much experience with people coming back from the dead as you and I have had. None. And so you can't blame them for being confused and troubled and afraid and full of doubt on this day. Over the course of that evening, Jesus helps them to believe. He speaks words of comfort and assurance. He shows them his hands and his feet and his side. He invites them to touch him, to feel his flesh and bones. They're beginning to get it, but they still need some help. So Jesus comes up with another novel idea. Verse 41. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it in their presence. I mean, it's a comical scene when you think about it. It's so ordinary. What's the first thing a guy does when he walks into a buddy's house? Hey, dude, got anything to eat? (laughs) Here are these 11 disciples watching Jesus chew a piece of fish. And it begins to convince them. So Jesus continues. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I mean, what an experience this must have been. Jesus himself walking them through the scriptures, explaining everything to him. No PowerPoint, but it had to be a really great sermon that day. They're beginning to feel better. They're beginning to believe that he's really risen, that he's back, that he's with them, that things are going to be okay. They can pick up where they left off. It's like a good day at church. Worship, teaching, and a potluck dinner. I mean, great day, Jesus. And then he rocks their world. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus tells them it's up to them to carry on the mission. That he's leaving. You are witnesses of these things. And as if that is scary enough, he tells them to take it to the whole world. The whole world? What, these 11 guys? I mean, think about it. They, They probably have not traveled more than 50 miles from their home in their entire lives. And the thought of sharing good news with Gentiles? That had hardly ever crossed their minds. But that was their mission. As much as they wanted to stay, to to be with Jesus, to enjoy the safety of the upper room, Jesus says to them, get out of here, go take it on the road. And so it is for Christ followers these many, many generations later. I mean, there's a reason this commission is recorded five times in the Bible. There aren't many things we're told five times in the Bible but we're told five times to go. And in part, it's because we love being together. I mean, look at you folks. You came back in the house (laughs) after being released for 15 minutes. We love to be together, to worship, to learn, to be encouraged by our time together. It's great to be here, but Jesus doesn't want us hanging out in a holy huddle. Get out of the building, he says, as we just practiced It's amazing what we can work into a sermon. It really is. Get out of the building, he says, and take it to the world. Now, here at Grace, we take this commission very seriously, and we always have. By now, it's folklore. Grace Chapel supported this first missionary before it was even incorporated as a church. I'm not sure they even had a pastor yet, and they had a missionary. Our annual report will tell us that uh, we have 76 partnerships in the region and around the world, about a third here and two thirds around the world. Over 20% of our budget goes directly to those mission partners, plus a couple hundred thousand dollars extra we give every year for special projects and to meet crises around the world. But we don't just send money, we send people, young people, adults, pastoral staff members, 10 teams going out just this, this year alone. 160 some people our middle school director andrew bretton is spending six months in nairobi kenya he's there as much to learn as he is to help but that's how seriously we take our commitment to partnering with our friends around the world i am so gratefully part of a church that helps me not only to be globally aware but to be globally engaged So that when we watch the news or pick up the paper and we hear about a typhoon in the Philippines or an earthquake in Haiti or or riots in Cairo or a refugee crisis in Syria or a shooting in Dorchester, when we hear about those things, we know that when we come together as a church, we can not just pray for them, we can actually give money that will go to them, we can send people and aid to them. Some of us can even go to those places and work alongside our partners there to make a difference. Some of you remember our Christmas Eve offering we took for uh, relief and development in the wake of uh, Hurricane uh, uh, Typhoon Haiyan back in the fall. We wanted to do something, and so we quickly mobilized, devoted, dedicated our Christmas offering to that. This congregation, our Christmas guests, gave over $90,000 in the course of a week or so. Half of that money went to World Vision to provide relief work. If you remember, we packed up 3,000 hygiene kits, 600 volunteers sending that out the other half went to development and rebuilding. And we partnered for that part of it with the Center for Community Transformation there in the Philippines, one of our peer-servant partners in that part of the world. Now, this morning, we're blessed to have a couple of those directors from CCT in the Philippines actually with us this morning. Uh, Elizabeth, are you here somewhere? The rest of the team are scattered around here. Can we just thank them for being here? So they're they're here to thank us for the great, great work that was done with our gifts to rebuild homes, to set people up in business, to repair fishing boats, uh, to help build and start and reestablish churches. It's a great thing to be part of a church like that. But it's not just around the world, all those places matter, but our own backyard matters as well. Spring Serve, we sent 800 people to 70 work sites all across greater Boston. We got a letter from, uh, from one of them. One of our teams went to a nearby housing project to do some landscaping and cleanup. We got a letter this week from one of the directors of the housing authority in that town, and this is what she writes. The residents of low-income housing are often overlooked in our communities, so it is with much gratitude that I send this letter. No one is overlooked in God's kingdom. Everyone, every place, every person matters. That's why we go. But it's not just about sending out teams and supporting our partners. It's about each of us living on mission everywhere we go from day to day. Now, how do you do that? I mean, that's a daunting task. It's as scary to us as it was to those 11. Who? Us? To the whole world? How? Jesus didn't send them out empty-handed. And he doesn't send us out empty-handed either. We give our mission teams a packing list of things to bring with them when they go on mission, important things like flashlight and toilet paper, those kinds of things. They need to add these three things to their list. We all do. First, he gave them a message to share, a message to share, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 46, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Forgiveness of sins for all people in all nations. Think about that, folks. Forgiveness, freedom for anyone, anywhere, anytime who turns to Christ in faith and repentance. It's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. It's life better and eternal, just like that. We get so used to that, we forget how desperate people are to hear a message like that. Recently, I've been visiting with a man who is coming near the end of his life. It's been a long life. It's been a full life. But it's a life that he's lived, ignoring God and his ways. He's done life his way, on his own, for his own purposes all these years. As he comes down to his final days, he's wondering if if there's a chance for him. I mean, is it too late? Is there something he can do to get right with God before he dies? You know how glad I was to say, yeah, (laughs) there's something you can do. You can say, I'm sorry. You can turn to God and admit your need, receive his forgiveness, and begin today to live new and eternal life. That's good news, folks. Anyone, anywhere, anytime. That's the gospel, and we carry it with us everywhere we go. Every time we leave the house, we have that message of hope, faith, love, peace, joy, life with a capital L. Mission teams, it's great to go out and to, and to rebuild houses and to, and to play games with kids and to um, clean up neighborhoods. All those things are wonderful, but don't forget to tell them about Jesus. Don't forget to tell them why you came. So... First thing, a message to share. Second thing we pack in our bags is power for living. Power for living, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to send you what the Father has promised, but stay in this city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And before too many days had passed, about 50 days actually, that Holy Spirit fell with great power. And this this crowd of cowards They found themselves standing up in the streets of Jerusalem, preaching their hearts out, unafraid. They were preaching so powerfully and so full of the Spirit that people from other nations who were in town for the holiday heard the gospel in their own native tongue. Thousands came to faith that very day. We call it Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit in power. We celebrate it today. It's Pentecost Sunday. And that same Spirit, that same power, is at work in us as well. Not, not, not usually empowering us to speak in other languages, although who knows what the Spirit can do. But that Spirit empowers us to, to see opportunities as we make our way through the day. Empowers us to, to reach out to someone when we'd rather play it safe and stick to ourselves. That Spirit gives us words to say that are just the words that a person needs to hear. The Spirit anoints our feeble efforts So they accomplish far more than we could ever possibly imagine. That's power. And as Christ followers, we take it with us every time we walk out the door. A message to share, the power of the Spirit. And then thirdly, he gave them and us one another. We do this together. Jesus has spent three years forming these guys into a community. But it wasn't just the 11 of them. We find out in a few days that there are 120 of them actually gathered, men and women, on that day of Pentecost. And by the end of that day, there were thousands of Christ followers all over Jerusalem. Many of them would be returning to their homelands to bring the message with them in their native tongue. Who would have thought from this humble beginning, 11 scared guys in a tiny upper room would come a movement that would shape the course of human history like no other? Who would have thought that from these 11 guys in one little place on earth, a message would go out that would affect every nation on the face of this planet? It's a remarkable thing. That's what happens when we move in the power of the Spirit, with a message on our hearts, and in partnership with Christ's followers around the world. So where will life take you this week as exciting as it is to send these 160 off for trips this summer, you don't have to go on a trip to be on mission this summer. I had an email conversation this week with a Grace Chapel guy who travels a lot for work, and he's learned how to leverage that work travel for kingdom work. Listen to a few lines. He says When traveling for work, I often share my journey with Christ when I can and invite the Holy Spirit to enter the conversation. I share my faith in words when the opportunity arises but more often by loving and caring for people. When we first started attending Grace, I was traveling regularly to Jordan for work. My Jordanian partner there in the business was a Muslim. When Pope John Paul II visited Amman in 2000, my friend Bashar agreed to join me at a service in a football stadium. This provided an opportunity for us to discuss the human condition and our relationship with God. I think God touched his heart that day. And Bashar and I continue to stay in touch and pray for each other. As a result of my business travel to Jordan, I got involved with the Grace Chapel Missions program there and was able to visit with Jody and Ruth Miller, our partners there, and to lead a short-term team there in 2011. When I travel, I choose to seek out places and people instead of just going to tourist sites. In Vietnam, I was able to find a Filipino house church in the basement of the place I was staying This group of believers, far from their home, had claimed that space for God. They welcomed me. I think my visit to this church encouraged this small group of believers, and they definitely bolstered my faith while in Vietnam. God works in amazing ways. I mean, how cool is that? What a way to travel. What a way to live in the power of the Spirit with a message on our hearts and eyes open to what God's doing around in partnership with believers God places in our path. I know many of you are saying, hey, look, I don't go to Jordan for my daily work. You don't have to. Everywhere you go, Jesus said to the disciples, beginning in Jerusalem, right here in your own backyard, begin where you are. Several months ago, back in December, I was traveling home from Pennsylvania, visiting my parents for a couple days. I was taking the train so I could, instead of driving, so I could get some work done along the way. I changed trains in Penn Station, and as I was getting on board, I noticed another guy getting on board about the same time. An older guy, rumpled suit, couple of suitcases with him that he handled pretty deftly as he found his way to his seat. He was obviously a seasoned road warrior. I don't know why I noticed him, but I did. A little while later, I had found my way to the cafe car so I could find a table, and I was spread out, and I was doing some work, working on my upcoming sermon. I was in a groove and eager to be left alone when that very same guy came walking down the aisle with a beer and a hot dog in his hand and and asked if he could share my table. I nodded yes and got back to my work, hoping just to carry things on, but suddenly I was not in the groove anymore because the Spirit was nudging me to engage this guy. I really didn't want to. I said, all right, I'll look up once, and if he meets my eye. So I look up, and he's looking right at me. And he says to me, what are you working on, a novel? Now I know, it feels like a novel sometimes, but anyway. So now I have a decision to make. Do I get into this, or just try to find a way out? And I decided to go for it. Actually, I said, I'm working on my sermon for this coming Sunday. He leaned back in his chair (laughs) and said, "Uh uh-oh, a holy man, (laughs) literally. I said, no, 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 not really. And at that point, I'm in deep, so I decided to keep going. I said, I'm actually going to present a monologue this Sunday about Joseph, the carpenter, Jesus' father. He seemed interested, so I kept going. He said, yeah, it seems to me Joseph was just a quiet, hard-working guy who did good work and took care of his family and served God that way. There was a pause, and he said to me, sounds like me. I can work with that. So I said, tell me more. And he went on to talk about how he had emigrated to this country as a young man, joined the military, went to school, became an engineer, an inventor, an entrepreneur. At 70 years old, he's still traveling, doing business, told me about his family. And I said to him, it sounds like a good, productive life. And he said, yeah. I said, you know, I'm I'm working on a series about work and how when we work well and hard, we really are honoring God and doing his work in this world. And he said, well... Maybe I'm not such a bad guy after all. I said, no, maybe not. And we went on to have a remarkable conversation about God, faith, church, work, all kinds of things. When uh, eventually I found that he had a a brother-in-law who was also trying to convert him, something like that. When finally we came to his stop and he had to get off, I had a Tim Keller book about work sitting on my pile here. and It was all marked up, so I gave it to him, knowing he'd get right to the good stuff. And he happily took the book and, I told him he could listen to some sermons on the web if he wanted to. It was a remarkable conversation. And it might not have happened if I hadn't been on the road. If the Spirit hadn't prompted me to notice someone I might not have noticed, given me the courage to engage someone, given me a message that was exactly what that man needed to hear that day, and had given me a partner in ministry, this brother-in-law, who would continue to speak into this man's life. What a way to live and work and travel. So where will life take you this week? What will you do when you get there? Who might you meet on the way? And how can you leverage that opportunity for the kingdom? Like the Sundance Kid and Jesus of Nazareth, Christ followers are better when we move. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, individually and collectively. Fill us as full as we can possibly be. And as we make our way through the world this week, wherever we are, Open our eyes to the people around us. Open our ears to hear the deep longings of their heart. Open our hands in friendship and kindness. Open our mouths to speak words of faith and hope and love. Open our hearts to believe that you are always at work, in, through, around, and sometimes in spite of us. Everywhere we go, in Jesus' name, amen.